This is Rio of Madison Rising, and you're listening to our acoustic version of the Star Spangled Banner here on KLRN Radio, where liberty and reason still reign. Oh, say, can you see by the dawn's early light what's so bright? Stripes in bright stars through the perilous fight. Oh, the ramparts we watched were so gallantly streaming in the rocket's red. When we first begun 
are listening to KLRN Radio, where liberty and reason still reign. KLRN Radio has advertising rates available. We have rates to fit almost any budget. Contact us at advertising at klrnradio.com. You're listening to the Spark Radio Network, internet radio like you've never heard before. Innovation, creativity, and imagination are all said to begin with a spark. So fasten your seatbelt and take the ride of your life and listen for the spark. God's Pure Word of Faith with Richard Harden can now be heard Monday through Friday mornings at 7 a.m. Central, 8 Eastern and on Saturday and Sunday mornings at 6 a.m. Central, 7 Eastern. Join him and let's turn our country back to God. It only takes a spark to start a forest fire. Let's get on fire for the Lord, right here on KLRN Radio and the Spark Radio Network. Visit Richard's website at raharden.com. That's the World Wide Web at R-A-H-A-R-D-I-N dot com. At his website, you can see a summary of the six books he has written, where purchases may be made. He also has a link to 18 videos on YouTube and several blogs about Christian beliefs. If you prefer, visit Amazon.com backslash Kindle and type in Richard Harden to see and purchase his books. Each of my programs are being saved so that you can listen to them at any time. There's just four simple steps to find the past programs. Go to www.spreaker.com. That's S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R.com. Enter my name, Richard Harden, in the search box in the top center of the home page. Click on the brown icon, which has the Bible, two candlesticks, and a cross in the background. A list of my programs will come up. You are listening to KLRN Radio, where liberty and reason still reign. You're listening to God's Pure Word of Faith with Richard Harden. Richard will guide you through the Bible and help you find God's purpose for your life. Now here's teacher and author Richard Harden. Welcome to God's Pure Word of Faith. I'm Richard Harden, and again, I want to thank the Lord and the management of KLRN Radio for this great opportunity to share God's Word with you today. God speaks to the children of Israel by the prophet Isaiah about their three responses to a punishment he was going to bring on them if they didn't change their ways. Now, our leaders responded the exact three same ways after 9-11 when the Twin Towers were destroyed. I'm going to share that with you this morning, but before I start, I want to share with you about my website, and I'll be right back. Visit Richard's website at raharden.com. That's the World Wide Web at raharden.com. At his website, you can see a summary of the six books he has written 
where purchases may be made. He also has a link to 18 videos on YouTube and several blogs about Christian beliefs. If you prefer, visit Amazon.com backslash Kindle and type in Richard Harden to see and purchase his books. Welcome back. I'm kind of titling this message this morning, The 9-11 Isaiah Rapture, because not only are we going to discuss the uh, three ways that the children of Israel responded in the same three exact ways that our uh, leaders responded to 9-11, but there's also a rapture referred to in Isaiah that... Uh, hasn't been brought out or talked about and I want to show you how that is related to us today just like it was related to the children of Israel and the punishment they were going to receive in the book of Isaiah it's talked about but it'll come later now the children of Israel and the United States I would say are compared to a vineyard in Isaiah chapter 5 verses 4 to 5 where God says here, after, you know, that he had worked in his vineyard and he had done everything he could for them, uh, he starts out and he says, What could have been done more to my vineyard that I have not done in it? Wherefore, when I looked, and it should have brought forth grapes. And he's intending here good grapes, though. He says, Brought it forth wild grapes. And now go to. I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. Okay, here's the first thing. I will take away the hedge thereof. The hedge, his help, you know, in defense and things like this. But he said, I'll take away the hedge thereof, and it shall be eaten up. And break down the wall thereof, and it shall be trodden down. Now, since World War II, the war to end of all wars, our people have turned their trust and confidence from God to space technology, to nuclear technology, military technology, many great successful businesses with 20, 30 year financial retirement programs. Um, that is until recently when we've seen a lot of them fail and people be so disappointed in their elderly years. And until recently we had the greatest health care on earth. But as we say, we thank God for all these modern conveniences We've been pushing or allowing God to be pushed out of our society through abortion, which is actual murder of the 50 million children in the past, you know, decades. They've been, our government has been removing the emblems and plaques of God or any visible, you know, uh, remembrances of God or his word from sight. God's moral principles are being ridiculed and those trying to live by his morals are starting to be persecuted legally by our non-Christian society and churches are even fighting and dividing among themselves over moral standards and a church just recently one of the largest churches in our country or the groups you know the denomination took all the songs out of their hymnal that had to do with Jesus being the only way on Christ the solid rock I stand, no other, you know, thing. Well, they, they took these songs out. Now, God's charge to his people below 
This is what he says in Isaiah 58, 1 and 2. God speaks to the rebellious children. Cry aloud, spare not, lift up thy voice like a trumpet, and show my people their transgression. He's telling Isaiah to tell them this. To the house of Jacob their sins. Now, he says in the first charge, says, yet they seek me daily. You know, they're running around acting religious, seeking him daily. They say they delight to know my ways. And as a nation, they, you know, uh, uh, that did righteousness. They're claim, you know, they think they're, you know, being so righteous and everything in, in their activity and all this, that they're a great nation. They forsook not the laws of their God, and they asked me the ordinances of justice. Now, forsaking not the laws, that during this time, the children of Israel were going through their sacrifices, they were going through their feast, and then, you know, their prayer sessions, and all this. And then, he says, they asked me for the ordinance of justice. What, the, what this means is, they're turning to God and saying, who are you, you know? Where's your response? You know, we're doing so good and everything. Uh, why don't we see you, you know, working with us? And then the fifth one here is they take delight in approaching to God. You know, they just feel like their way and what they're doing is so great. And, you know, we have a, a what appears to be such a religious society, too, just like these people did here in, uh, that he's talking about. But these people are so proud of themselves for all the good work they feel they're doing for God, just like, you know, in our country, the different Christian uh, denominations and organizations. <coughs> Excuse me. The people of Isaiah's day started asking, where's God? Why isn't he showing his favor for all their good works? They asked him in Isaiah 58.3, uh, Wherefore have we fasted, say they? And thou seest not. Wherefore have we afflicted our soul, you know, in their feast and everything and fasting? Wherefore have we afflicted our soul and taken, thou hast taken no knowledge? Why aren't we, our country, getting the blessings or, you know, the, the things that we feel like we deserve, in other words, because of all this good stuff we're doing? Then God tells his people how phony they are and how to correct their ways. Then God, in the remainder of Isaiah 58, following that, tells him how great it will be for them if they will accept his warnings and humble themselves and repent and turn to him with all their hearts. He's telling them what they're missing, you know, how great it's going to be if they will do this. God again summarizes to his people why they are not getting a favorable response from him in Isaiah 59, verse, verses 1 through 2. It says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, neither is the ear heavy, that he cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you, that he will not hear. And like today in our society, you know, the sins in our society are just, well, unimaginable. Or actually, you know, anything you can imagine is being done in our country, in our society. And it seems like, you know, there's just a religious community is just ignoring it or something. Now, just like the children of Israel that God was speaking to above, our sins and iniquities are 
why God is not answering and delivering our, delivering our sinful Christian community in our country from the devil's attack and through the Muslims in our country. Our Christian community is full of sins and iniquities and are babes in Christ since there are so many denominations. Uh, the Apostle Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 3, 1, because they had the division of just two denominations then, but uh, I'll say two denominations. It wasn't really two denominations, but they were claiming uh, I'm of Paul and I'm of Apollos. You know, there's two divisions. And here in um, chapter 3, verse 1, 1 Corinthians, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. For ye are yet carnal. Now, carnal being Christians that commit sin, acts of sin. For whereas there is among you envying, strife, divisions, are you not carnal? I say, we have envying, strife, and certainly divisions. Are we not carnal? And walk as men? For while one says, I'm of Paul, and the other, I'm of Paulus, are you not carnal? See, just two divisions. Now, we have, you know, uh, if you if I've tried to sit here and list all of them, you know, like that, we could have, you know, two, three hundred different denominations, you know. Uh, not just two, like Paul's talking about here, two divisions. Okay, now, he also talks about in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 5 and 14, verse 5, Paul says, we have one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one faith. God's not going to tell all our people across our country, you know, and our religious community, different interpretations of scriptures, different um, activities they should be doing, different plans of salvation and things like this, but yet they're being taught all across our country so different. That, that's not, you know, the, the one faith that's talked about we're supposed to be seeking. Because like in verse 14 here in Ephesians 4, it says, well, in verses 12 and 13, God has given us apostles, pastors, evangelists to teach us and help us grow until we come into a unity of the one faith. But then verse 14 says, until that happens, it says in verse 14, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro, cared about in every wind of doctrine. And that's what it is today, you know. If um, society gets to where they're changing things and, you know, it gets too tough for people to say Jesus is the only way, like that big denomination, you know, just a couple of months ago, instead of standing up for what the Scripture says, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. They take all of those references out of their songbooks. And I'm sure that I will preach it from the pulpit then if they're taking it out of their uh, songbooks and everything and not going to sing and praise the Lord for being our way. Well, uh, see, just being tossed to and fro, depending on the winds of doctrine that's blowing in our, you know, um, ungodly society. It says that we henceforth be no more children. See, so our Christian society today it's just babes in Christ with a lot of different denominations saying this and saying that and everything. But the pure word of God is being neglected. And Proverbs 30, verse 5 and 6 says, Every word of God is pure, a shield of them that put their trust in it. Add thou not to it, lest he reprove thee, and thou be found a liar. And the way we are found a liar is he won't back up what we're saying and doing. But he will if it's his pure word and will have a shield. That's where the shield of faith comes from, our acceptance and obedience to his pure word. That's where the victory over the world comes from in 
1 John 5, 4 is acceptance and obedience to his pure word. See, and that's where our salvation comes from, acceptance and obedience to his pure word. So many people are running around our society today with made-up plans of salvation and all these different things added to it, thinking they're okay with God and everything because it sounds good. And there's going to come a time when we stand before the Jesus at the judgment seat of Christ. We stand there. There's got to be a lot of us that are wrong. <laughs> I say us because, you know, um, everybody can't be right. But especially with, you know, these different plans of salvation and everything like that. But anyway, um, our Christian society is filled with division, envy, strife, false doctrines. And as the Apostle Paul says above, our Christian society too, all denominations are carnal, babes in Christ, tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine. So I encourage you today, as you listen, you know, like that, take it upon yourself. It's, nobody on earth is responsible for my salvation between me and God except me and you also you know there's nobody else responsible in God's eyes to how we respond to him except each of us individually so quit depending on other people to tell you what's in the scripture and everything get the scriptures out and start studying and seeking God yourself because when each of us stand before Jesus we're not going to have somebody standing there, you know, in our denomination or, you know, our group and to, you know, to back us up and support us and everything. Jesus is going to ask us, why didn't we turn to him? If we didn't understand the scriptures, why didn't we seek him for that understanding? See, so uh, we're not going to have uh, any good excuses, like he said in the scriptures to many of them. Was it Matthew chapter 7? Uh, latter part of that chapter he says many going to say to me in that day haven't I done these great wonderful works and you know now they can uh, people without Christ in their heart can do wonderful works if they quote God's word and these people he's talking to there are people that think they're Christians and he's going to say you know well they're going to say to him we've done these great wonderful works you know we've uh, cast out demons and we've done these great activities and everything and Jesus is going to say to me, Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. See, they were doing all these wonderful works by quoting God's word and thinking they were a Christian, but they hadn't received the changed heart. They hadn't received Christ into their heart. And like Colossians 127, it says, Christ in us, our hope of glory. And uh, was it Galatians 4, 6, and 7? Uh, if you're a Christian, the Apostle Paul is saying there, says, uh, and because your sons, sons of God, because your sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father, Daddy, Father, wherefore you no more a servant but a son, if a son, then heir of God through Christ. See, that's when we become a child of God, a joint heir with Jesus, is when we receive the spirit of his son, Christ, the living word, into our heart. And that will only happen when we personally, each one of us, humble ourselves, ask forgiveness of our sins, and invite him to come into our heart. But people get so wrapped up in, in maybe God giving them a dream or a miracle or you know, speaking to them or making his presence known that they think running around his presence and everything, that that's all there is to it. And it's not. It's we've got to receive his spirit into our heart. And that's why he's going to say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you because that uh, they didn't take the time to humble themselves and do that simple thing of just turning to him and inviting him to come into their heart. 
Now, I don't want any of you to be caught in that situation. If you're listening to this, make sure that you've received the changed heart because Jesus says you must be born again. And that's what he's talking about, to be born of the Spirit, like Ezekiel 36, 26, where God said, a new heart also will give you. See, a new heart would have a changed heart, born again. A new heart also will give you. A new spirit will up within you. I'll take away the stony heart out of your flesh, give you a heart of flesh, and I'll put my spirit in you. That then is when we become a child of God, when he puts his spirit in us. Because like in Romans 8 9, it says, Now if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. So we have to have the spirit of Christ in our hearts. That's a work of grace. When we invite him to come in, the spirit of Christ comes in, creates in us a new heart, a new life. And, and that's a work of grace that follows our acceptance of his word into our heart by faith. And we've each got to do that. Now, all these uh, divisions, envying, strife, false doctrines, the Apostle Paul says our Christian society, our denomination things, we're a carnal society, a sinful society, babes in Christ tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine. And that certainly describes our country today because he was only talking about the uh, people in Corinthians there because one of them said, I'm of Paul, and the other group said, I'm of Apollos. It's a, just a division of just two groups. And we got hundreds of groups in our society teaching and preaching different plans of salvation and everything. But now, in Isaiah, when the destruction comes, God tells the people this is how they will respond. Because see, he knows their heart. Uh, he knows how prideful they are and everything. So God tells them here uh, that they will respond with proud and stoutness of heart to first, now the first thing, to build stronger buildings. Because, you know, back there at the, at the beginning when we started uh, in Isaiah chapter 5, verse 4, he says, I'll tell you what I'll do to my vineyard. I will take away the hedge thereof, shall be eaten up, and break down the wall thereof. Now, this may be the walls of the city, may be the walls of, you know, the, the temple or whatever, but it doesn't say, but the walls of city, he says, he's going to break down the wall thereof, and it should be trodden down. So now, over here he said, their response is going to be out of pride to build stronger buildings, to plant more costlier and stronger trees. See, they had some sycamore trees there, and he tells them then, instead of humbling themselves and turning to him as they should, the bricks are falling down, but we will build with dressed stone, they're going to you know even have stronger stones to rebuild, and the sycamores are cut down, but we will change them to cedars. They're going to put up stronger trees that are cut down. Now this is in Isaiah chapter nine verse ten, and again Isaiah five verse five. The scripture says here uh, that I read earlier, he will take away their hedge, break down their walls and their walls will be trodden down. But here in chapter 9, verse 10, it talks about some sycamore trees, too, that are part of that uh, complex that he's going to tear down, have to be uh, trodden under. It says, but we'll build dress with dressed stones. We're going to rebuild it, and the sycamores will be cut out, and we're going to uh, change them to cedars, a stronger tree. Now, so there must have been something like our 9-11, maybe their temple or city walls. Now, 
our response to 9-11. Listen to this. The bricks are falling. The day after 9-11, Senate Majority Leader Tom Daschle in his Senate floor statement on a joint resolution of condemnation for the September 11, 2001, stated the following from Isaiah 9-10. Now, he thought this was a blessing. He says, but there's a passage in the Bible from Isaiah that I think speaks to all of us at such a time as this. Isaiah 9, verse 10, the bricks have fallen down, but we will rebuild with dressed stones. Thinking that was like a blessing and everything that, you know, we're going to, you know, we're going to come back. We're going to do this. We got the strength. and You know, we're going to uh, rebuild. But that was what God was telling them uh, in, the, in Isaiah, that it was their prideful response instead of turning to him. Now, they actually didn't know that it was actually a curse to them. The response was what the people planned to do instead of humbling themselves to God. Dashiell gave it as though it was a great all-American response, not knowing that he was repeating what God counted as a curse to the people of Israel. So our country was responding the same way as in Isaiah's day. Now, just like the children of Israel, our nation will rebuild with our own hands and we'll recover, just like God said the rebellious children of Israel would do in response to them. Congress, the president, and you know the judges all stood on the steps of Congress and sang all those patriotic songs and everything, holding hands and you know godly songs. People across the nation flocked to churches, but it only lasted about six weeks. And then, from what I've heard, that even more people left after that six weeks. But anyway, uh, I'm not sure about that, but uh, that's what I've heard from different surveys and things. The reaction of con Congress was as phony as all of God's charges to his people in Isaiah 58. Seems that from what has happened since Congress became, well, since then, look what's happened, you know, uh, since Congress became more determined that our Christian religion is not the answer for our society. Since then, you know, after standing there singing on those, you know, steps, you know, how, uh, holy everything was and you know how great it's going to be and you know um, all those great songs of God and everything where was their sincerity you know just a, a few weeks and months and a couple of years later how they rammed through the Obamacare without even the Congress reading it it was just forced on the people and everything without reading it. Same-sex marriages, you know, that's been voted out of so many states. And then these federal judges just turn right around and throw the vote of the people out. And they've supported our tax dollars of Muslim Brotherhood killing Christians all around the world. And they're still allowing millions of babies to be killed in what's called abortion. Well, abortion is not. Well, it, it's not just an operation. Partial birth abortion is a lie. Partial birth abortion is murdering the baby when it's halfway out of the womb and, and would be considered a child. You are listening to KLRN Radio, where liberty and reason still reign. KLRN 
KLRN Radio has advertising rates available. We have rates to fit almost any budget. Contact us at advertising at klrnradio.com. God's Pure Word of Faith with Richard Harden can now be heard Monday through Friday mornings at 7 a.m. Central, 8 Eastern, and on Saturday and Sunday mornings at 6 a.m. Central, 7 Eastern. Join him and let's turn our country back to God. It only takes a spark to start a forest fire. Let's get on fire for the Lord, right here on KLRN Radio and the Spark Radio Network. Visit Richard's website at raharden.com. That's the World Wide Web at rahardin.com. At his website, you can see a summary of the six books he has written, where purchases may be made. He also has a link to 18 videos on YouTube and several blogs about Christian beliefs. If you prefer, visit amazon.com backslash Kindle and type in Richard Harden to see and purchase his books. Each of my programs are being saved so that you can listen to them at any time. There's just four simple steps to find the past programs. Go to www.spreaker.com. That's S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R.com. Enter my name, Richard Harden, in the search box in the top center of the home page. Click on the brown icon, which has the Bible, two candlesticks, and a cross in the background. A list of my programs will come up. You are listening to KLRN Radio, where liberty and reason still reign. You're listening to God's Pure Word of Faith with Richard Harden. Richard will guide you through the Bible and help you find God's purpose for your life. Now here's teacher and author Richard Harden. Welcome back. Now, the first response was to, of the children of Israel in our country was we're going to rebuild with, you know, uh, uh, better stones, better bricks, and we're going to have a stronger uh, building when we rebuild. The second response to the sycamore trees. Now, I don't know why the sycamore trees were chosen in the beginning and everything, but they were, but they're going to be cut down. You can find more information about this if you'll uh, Google Rabbi Jonathan C-A-H-N, C-A-H-N. Uh, give him credit for this because he's done a lot of, you know, that work and being a rabbi, he's familiar more with the procedures and everything of what they went through in those days. But uh Either Google that or just look up his name on Facebook. He has Facebook pages and everything. It's Rabbi Jonathan C A H N, and he'll uh, he has so many materials on there, so much more that I can be able to share this morning. But the second now response that God uh, told the children of Israel that they would do in their arrogance, instead of putting back up the same type of tree. They would change a tree to a stronger one. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 10, the sycamores cut down, 
but we will change them into cedars. Now, the American response, and uh, the above scriptures actually a pro proclamation again of a curse on the people where the sycamore trees falls when the building collapse and the people in defiance and self-determination again decide that we'll plant a stronger cedar tree in the sycamore's place just like what was in the book of Isaiah without needing to turn to God anything. They're going to change and put a stronger tree back there at ground zero in the place of that sycamore. It's going to be a cedar tree. The scripture itself is a warning to God's people about how they would choose an, an arrogant response to the fallen sycamore tree and that they would correct the problem themselves without turning to God. Now the error of our response in the United States is not that it's uh, a defiant attitude against Islamic militants is wrong, that is because they're the ones that, you know, uh, tore down the uh, twin towers and everything and their crashes and everything. So, so being, you know, uh, upset about that is not wrong, but instead it's a lack of recognition that God withheld his protection because of our disregard for him and the spirit of misplaced defiance that we can do whatever we want to correct the problem without seeking God for guidance. And that's how the American way or method seems to be now. But it's not the way it used to be. It used to be in our wars everywhere uh, that, that God, that people prayed and sought the Lord for help and guidance in these. And, uh, well, one of the greatest scenes of the movie Patton that I so much enjoyed through the years was that uh, there was going to be bad weather the next morning and, and uh, he couldn't perform the uh, attack or charge that he wanted to. He ordered one of his uh, priests, not one of his priests, one of, you know, the chaplain then, to write a prayer for him that he could pray for good weather. The chaplain was shocked, but he did it because he was told to. And um, Patton went out and prayed the next morning, had beautiful weather, and he was successful in his venture. Now, uh, people sought the Lord in, throughout in our early days. In fact, there's, a, there's actually a ruling in the United States Supreme Court that uh, says we're a Christian nation. And I have that ruling here. I wasn't going to give it yet, but I will. The Christian Nation, 29 February 1892, Church of the Holy Trinity versus United States. Now, this is found for legal people who want to look it up. 143 U.S. 457, 125 CT 511, 36, Lawyer's Edition 226. Dated February the 26th, 1892, the United States Supreme Court determined that this is a Christian nation and it has not been overturned or changed since, so it still is. If uh, people that claim to be such good legal scholars and everything from, you know, uh, our government up there and everything like that, if they are, then they should know about this ruling that it has been ruled by the U.S. Supreme Court that we are a Christian nation. Now, let me get back here to where I was going here. Okay. The sycamores are cut down, but we will change them to cedars. 
our response was that we're going to, you know, uh, change them to cedars also without even knowing or there's no evidence that anybody in the um, Senate, the House, or the government decided that since it was that way in the book of Isaiah that we would respond that way too. It, it just blows my mind that it happened, you know, and just came um, following right along because in our day, if somebody had brought the Bible out, I believe, and said, hey, you know, in Isaiah here it says that uh, they responded this way, we should too, I think that would have been the opposite of what they would do instead of trying to follow something that they found to be in the Bible. But anyway, um, the error of our response is not that defiant attitude against the people that tore the buildings down, but instead the lack of recognition that God withheld his protection because of our disregard of him and in a spirit of misplaced defiance that we can do whatever we want you know to correct our problem Isaiah 5 5 which I read before God said I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard I will take away the hedge thereof and it shall be eaten up and broken down so this indicates that you know he took away our hedge of protection too in this situation on 9 11 like in Isaiah chapter 9 verse 10 there was a lone sycamore tree now on a corner of Ground Zero, St. Paul's Chapel. Now this is where George Washington once sought God for mercy on our country. George Washington and the co Congress had a prayer, had a prayer gathering at the tree to dedicate our financial interests of our country to God. That was why the sycamore tree was on the corner of Ground Zero. It was there in memorial to what they did and committing our country and our finances and everything to God. Okay, now this tree was cut down by a steel beam that fell from the North Twin Tower when it collapsed. Now the New Yorkers made a tree, the tree memorial of the remembrance of 9-11. And in 2003 a cedar tree as stated in Isaiah 9-10 Without their knowledge, I'm sure, because if anybody up there had known that, you know, it was in the Bible like that, they probably would have refused to let that happen. A cedar tree was planted in the exact spot where the sycamore tree had been that was cut down in 9-11. Now, when God brings judgment, he exposes foundations, roots, and like that. Now, the foundation of this was, one of the foundations of the United States is Wall Street, where New York Stock Exchange was founded. The previous name of this group, the Buttonworth Association, Buttonwood literally means sycamore. Now, as I said a while ago, if you want to know more about this in detail and everything, go back and uh, Google Rabbi Jonathan Kahn, C-A-H-N. He has so much more information on this and uh, can give you a lot more details. But uh, Buttonwood Association literally means sycamore. Wall Street was also the first lo location our government convened under a newly ratified constitution. The first meeting was at the corner of Ground Zero. George Washington's prayer there asked for protection over our country as we initiate or imitate God's virtues, implying that we would lose his protection if we didn't imitate and, you know, uh, continue in God's virtues. Okay, now. That was actually going on there at Ground Zero 
by that sycamore tree that got torn down by the North Wind Towers. Now, a bronze sculpture of that uprooted sycamore tree at Ground Zero, Ground Zero was placed on Wall Street in September 2005. The declaration that we will rebuild, we will recover, did not acknowledge with God's mercy and grace in any of these things in our response to, you know, 9-11. Now, as many, you know, in, in most things throughout the ages back there in the 1800s and early 1900s, you know, uh, presidents would, you know, pray and, and give God the credit and everything and, and ask his help in time of war and things. But it's the same spirit of self-will as the speeches that directly cited Isaiah's passage as a blessing and didn't realize that they, they actually were a curse. Now, it's also pointed out by Rabbi Khan, if you're looking it up, it's C-A-H-N, that Isaiah 9.10 is translated by a Lancet Brenton in the 1851 English translation of the Greek Septuagint as the bricks are falling down, but come, let us, you know, dress stones, or, you know, do better, stronger stones, and cut down the sycamores, and put in cedars, and let us build for ourselves a tower. And that's that, you know, uh, right now the World Trade Center Tower 7 has been completed with better construction and all this at ground zero. So the bricks have fallen. The trees have been substituted, just like in Isaiah, and their determination to rebuild the tower, the third thing, we did too. So in all three of these, we've matched the response, the arrogant type response that uh, God said that the children of Israel would do to his uh, circumstances there in Isaiah. Now, the pride of rebuilding replacing the tree with cedars and rebuilding a tower. Now God gave them five warnings and I want to share these five warnings with you uh, in Isaiah as it goes through here. In first one is Isaiah chapter 5 verse, uh, verses 11 through 25. I'm not going to read them all word for word but you can go back and read them if you'd like. Isaiah 5 verses 11 to 25 and it says in here that uh, talking about the people, the children of Israel at that time. He says, Woe unto them that rise up early in the morning, they may follow strong drink, continual till night, and the wine will inflame them. You know, you're just drinking and partying all day long. And uh, it didn't include uh, legalized marijuana in this at that time, but uh, we have that in our society too to help them you know, get the day started off right and go all day long partying. Uh, but it says in all their feast and their pipes and all this fun and everything, but they regard not the work of the Lord, neither consider the operation of his hands. He goes on to say, Therefore my people are gone into captivity because they have no knowledge, and their honorable men are famished, and so on. just so happens that this is when in verse 14 it says, Therefore hell had to enlarge itself and open the mouths without measure. Uh, hell and the lake of fire wasn't created for people. It was created for 
the devil and his angels, Jesus says in Matthew 25:41, um, that that was all they were created for. And here, see, it says that hell had to enlarge itself. So many people were partying all day and rejecting the Lord and not even considering his way. That was the first warning to him. And at the end of the warning, in um, 1125, it says, For this his anger is not turned away, but his hand is still stretched out. Uh, he's still stretching out his hands, wanting people to come to him. Like Ezekiel 33:11, it says that God doesn't rejoice in the death of any wicked person. It says, but that the wicked turn from their way and live. See, so his hand is still outstretched to the people. Now we're looking um, chapter 9, verses 10 and 12. Chapter 9, verse 10 and 12. It says, the bricks are falling down, but we will build with we dress stones, the sycamores are cut down, and we will change them to cedars. Therefore the Lord shall set up the adversaries against them. And then he goes on to, you know, um, explain this a little more. And he says, down in verse 12, For all this his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. See, at the end of each one of these warnings and everything, it says that his anger is not turned away. He's angry at them. It must be at us, too, in our society. But his hand is still stretched out if we'll just turn to him. Then in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 13 through 17, the third warning, uh, look at how it starts out. It says here, For the leaders of this people cause them to err, and they that are led by them are destroyed. The leaders of our nation are changing things so much that it's become now that uh, Christianity is on the bottom of the totem pole. <laughs> if there's a totem pole there. Anyway, um, they want to get rid of Christianity. It's becoming almost illegal to, to be Christian. And it goes on to other uh, things there in that particular warning but Isaiah 9 13 to 17 and it ends for all this his anger is not turned away he's still angry, but his hand is still stretched out he's still reaching out his hand to people even though this just angers him so much and everything that our leaders are leading us in the wrong way then the fourth one, Isaiah 9, 18-21. For wickedness burneth as a fire. And it goes down. Through the wrath of the Lord of hosts is the land darkened. And the people shall be as the fuel of the fire. No man shall spare his brother. And in our land has just been darkened spiritually and everything. It's just that we're not the light to the world that we're supposed to be. We we're supposed to be, you know, used by the Lord to, you know, help and, you know, send his message out around the world and everything. And through the years we've done that, but not now. At the end of that warning, he says, For all this his anger is not turned away, but his hand is still stretched out. He's still stretching out his hand to people. And then the final fifth warning, Isaiah 10, 1 through 4, it says, Woe to them that decree unrighteous decrees. Now this is talking about judges here. 
we've had you know uh, elections all around our country you know about same-sex marriage being illegal other things abortion been voted out here and there and different things like this and then federal judges have come right in our leaders and have just ignored the the vote of the people and everything these decrees unrighteous decrees and they write grievous which they have prescri grievousness which they have prescribed see so instead of you know uh, some of these righteous you know votes that people across our nation have voted for they come along then and write grievous decrees is that you know their uh, findings and everything like that they throw out the vote of the people and then they put in just the will of the judge and the will of you know the the, the government that's working with them and everything the liberal judges and stuff but then again after he goes through all this it says, for all this, God's anger is not turned away, but God's hand is stretched out still. And all five of these warnings about these um, terrible things going on in society, it says he's angry, but his hand is still stretched out, trying to call the people back to him. And those are the exact same things that are going on in our country that went on then. Now, in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18, God said starting out there, you know, his hand stretched out to the people and everything, but he says here, Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord, though your, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If you be willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. Now that was his, you know, uh, charge to all the people throughout that you know saying hey you know uh, you can eat the good land you know if, if you'll respond to me now in Isaiah chapter 3 verse 10 God tells Isaiah again says tell the righteous it will be well with them for they will enjoy the fruit of their deeds so now with all these warnings up there how evil that society was He's telling the righteous here, though, even before he gave all those warnings, he's telling the righteous, you know, that you'd be able to enjoy the fruit of your deeds. And we have, you know, Christians in our society that is uh, not near as many as think they're Christians, I don't believe. But anyway, uh, we have Christians in our society, and God is speaking to you, to me, that we will enjoy the fruit of of our deeds for him now we don't work for the Lord you know to just get these things and everything um, we work because we want to share with others and have them enjoy the changed heart the changed life that we have because I I tell you when that happened to me I'd been in church 20 something years and then when I found out from you know life just kind of falling apart and I cried out to the Lord one night and thinking I was just kind of you know, turning back to the Lord and, you know, rededicating my life to him. But I found out I'd never dedicated my life to the Lord. I had never asked him to forgive me of my sins. I had just gone forward as a nine-year-old boy and said, yeah, I love the Lord. I want to get saved and get baptized and like that. And the preacher, okay, great, let's do it. And that made me a Christian, I thought, at nine years old, because they told me it did. The adults did. Now, but at age 33 in 1974, when I cried out to the Lord at night on my couch, that was a new thing for me. I had never 
honestly to the Lord, ask him to forgive me of my sins and come into my heart, you know, create me, you know, just let me know that you're real, you know. Let me know that I've done what's right, you know. I want to know that relationship with you that's talked about in the Bible, and if it exists like that. And then and the Lord answered me, and even a silly prayer like that. But anyway, uh, tell the righteous so it will be well with them, for they will enjoy the fruit of their deeds. But you've got to be born again. Well, Ezekiel 36, 26. For a new heart also will give you, a new spirit will I put within you. I'll take away the stony heart out of your flesh, give you a heart of flesh, and I'll put my spirit in you. See, it's his spirit in us that we're born into the family of God as his children. And that's got to happen. If you don't know the time you called out and asked forgiveness, invite him to come in and receive that new heart, new life, do it. Put it top of your list. Start praying and seeking. Now, he comforts his people through all that. Even through all the, you know, uh, warnings and everything like this, he tells his people that it'll be well with them. Now, Isaiah 51, 7 is something that uh, the Lord showed me that I've added into uh, Rabbi Khan's, you know, a lot of his information here about what happened, the relationship between the children of Israel and their uh, arrogant response in the United States and our arrogant response to 9-11 Isaiah 51 verse 7 says hearken to me ye that know righteousness the people in whose heart is my law fear ye not the reproach of men neither be ye afraid of their revilings like today's you know God's children should not fear men if we have we received the new heart if we're children of God uh, like it says in Psalm 34, 7. The angel of the Lord encamps around about them that fear him and delivers them. See, we have God's divine protection. We have God's, you know, will and work with us. Right after that now, he says, Neither be ye afraid of their revilings and everything. In Isaiah 57, verses 1 to 2. This is what now I call the Isaiah rapture. Isaiah 57, verse 1 and 2. I'll read the King James, and then we'll read the NIV. From the King James. The righteous perish, and no man layeth it to heart. And merciful men are taken away, and none considering that the righteous is taken away from the evil to come. He shall enter into peace, and they shall rest in their beds, each one walking in his uprightness. Now, NIV. It says, the righteous perish, and no one takes it to heart. The devout are taken away, and no one understands that the righteous are taken away to be spared from the evil. Those who walk uprightly, entering into peace, they shall find rest as they lie in death. Now see, what he's saying here is that the Lord is calling his people out like in a uh, individual rapture of his people calling them out before his wrath is to come against the other ones that disobey and don't respond to the five warnings that he's given them and everything that he's calling his people out the righteous it says here they perish and everything but it's an individual rapture taking place in these people's lives let me read this again the righteous perish, but no one takes it to heart. 
the devout are taken away and no one understands that the righteous are taken away to be spared from the evil so God is performing a rapture here for his people that are going to miss the uh, punishments and everything that he brings upon the other people now one thing that is really kind of exciting to me about this is you know I've been in, I was in church from age 9 to 19 every time the door opened you know I went to church um, even revivals 10 times a week in the spring 10 times in the fall and in in so many messages about the rapture and things like this there's so many ministers that I've heard that say there's not one place in the Bible where it ever says that God you know uh, takes his people out of you know existence or you might say you know a rapture prior to him you know uh, punishing the other something like that and this is right here the scriptures that say that and show that in this particular case that God was removing his people so they wouldn't have to go through the evil times that was going to come upon the children of Israel because of her disobedience to his warnings and everything and not turning back so there was a rapture taking place here and I believe that we're going to have a rapture in our society too for God to call out to Christians ahead of time prior to the seven year tribulation which is one of the different uh, type of end time views there's four or five end time views you know like there'll be a rapture and then seven years tribulation or there'll be a three and a half years tribulation then a rapture and then three and a half more years tribulation then Jesus second coming you know the battle of Armageddon and things like this but there's so many but I'm going to share a little bit more about that now after you see that Isaiah had a rapture here for whatever their 9-11 was that caused them to get in this situation well there was a rapture before the evil come from it and I will continue there in just a minute as we uh... you are listening to KLRN radio where liberty and reason still reign KLRN Radio has advertising rates available. We have rates to fit almost any budget. Contact us at advertising at klrnradio.com. God's Pure Word of Faith with Richard Harden can now be heard Monday through Friday mornings at 7 a.m. Central, 8 Eastern, and on Saturday and Sunday mornings at 6 a.m. Central, 7 Eastern. Join him and let's turn our country back to God. It only takes a spark to start a forest fire. Let's get on fire for the Lord. Right here on KLRN Radio and the Spark Radio Network. Visit Richard's website at raharden.com. That's the World Wide Web at rahardin.com. At his website, you can see a summary of the six books he has written, where purchases may be made. He also has a link to 18 videos on YouTube and several blogs about Christian beliefs. If you prefer, visit Amazon.com 
backslash Kindle and type in Richard Harden to see and purchase his books. Each of my programs are being saved so that you can listen to them at any time. There's just four simple steps to find the past programs. Go to www.spreaker.com. That's S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R.com. Enter my name, Richard Harden, in the search box in the top center of the home page. Click on the brown icon, which has the Bible, two candlesticks, and a cross in the background. A list of my programs will come up. You are listening to KLRN Radio, where liberty and reason still reign. You're listening to God's Pure Word of Faith with Richard Harden. Richard will guide you through the Bible and help you find God's purpose for your life. Now here's teacher and author Richard Harden. Welcome back. I'm going to start sharing with you now about the rapture. Uh, like I mentioned a while ago, there's four or five different you know, main views to the what's called the second coming of the Lord or the rapture and like this and how they fit together. Well, I'm going to share with you like here in Isaiah where God was uh, bringing his people in that day. He was pulling them out in type individual raptures. You know, it wasn't just one great happening all of them at once that it appears it's going to be for us. But... Uh, he was taking them out. It said that the righteous perish, but no one takes to heart. The devout are taken away, and no one understands that the righteous are taken away to be spared from evil. Now, so I've always kind of believed that's probably the way it would be, but uh, the Lord had never really, you know, um, given me that confirmation anyway. But I believe this is it, that... Uh, in our day that we will have the rapture where the Lord will come and just as the scriptures I'm going to read in just a few minutes you'll see that the Lord will come pulling his children the Christians out of our society then it would be a seven years tribulation as talked about in the scriptures which I'm going to read here at the end of the seven years tribulation that then the second coming of Jesus would come back to rule and reign here on earth for a thousand years before the white throne judgment. Jesus' first coming was back, you know, 2,000 years ago. His second coming is not considered a rapture because he doesn't come back fully to the earth. It says he will come in the air and call his children, the Christians, out to go be with him. And then at the end of the seven years tribulation, that he will come back to earth for a thousand year reign. Now, that's the one I'm going to be discussing with you. It's called the, let's see, premillennialist view, if you're familiar with those words and everything. But now, I want to read you some scriptures in the uh, Bible about our rapture that will be taking place sometime. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 15 to 18, the Apostle Paul speaking here, and he says, For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, 
that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. What he's saying here is people that have died up until this time, whenever the rapture takes place, that he's saying, you know, that are asleep. Well, they're with the Lord now, but their physical bodies, you know, are dead and everything. It says they will come first. It says, uh, we shall not prevent them which sleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. <coughs> Excuse me. Those that have died before us that possibly will still be alive then, they'll rise first. Then we, which are alive and remain, shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. So he will just call us up at that time. We're all of us together. But now in Isaiah, he was calling people out individually. An individual rapture for the people. But this is going to be a group rapture. Talk about here. It says, Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Then First Thessalonians 5, verses 1 through 10. But of the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say, Peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them, as travail upon a woman with a child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. Now he's saying, you know, it's going to come as a thief, but you're not in darkness. Then, because of the signs of the times and just like this morning you know uh, putting together this Isaiah rapture and all this back and forth it just gives more indication that uh, since their rapture was associated with whatever their event was our rapture should be soon too after the 9-11 event now verse 5 you're all children of the light and are children of the day. We're not of the night or of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us, who are of the day, be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love for a helmet, a hope of salvation, the breastplate of faith, Faith is acceptance and obedience to God's word. So our breastplate, our resistance against, you know, uh, the fiery darts of the wicked. It says, you know, the breastplate of righteousness, uh, breastplate of faith. Acceptance of God's word is righteousness. The acceptance of his word is faith. So the breastplate of faith and love. Receiving the love of his word that he gives us for people. Because, see... Uh, like in Luke chapter 6 he says bless those that curse you you know pray for them to spitefully use you because see he wants us to be examples to the people while we're living here on earth to be examples and to share his love with them now let us whoever the day be sober putting on breastplates of faith and love for a helmet to hope of salvation you know get our head settled in our salvation you need to be uh, seeking out your salvation, you know, to, to understand it, you know, to understand 
back there when you prayed or whatever it was, you know, and you got forgiveness of your sins, and uh, did you recognize a changed heart or something? If, if you can't remember that, I'm not saying you have to, you know, uh, remember every bit of it, but, but if you have any doubts about it, don't let that disturb you that much. It's only a prayer away. Turn to the Lord now with all your heart and get it worked out with the Lord. Don't try to go back and justify everything you did. Well, I got baptized and I got this and I went to church and I was a deacon all these years. I preached for all these years. Um, I have a friend here in town that was got saved one night preaching, you know, after he had preached his own, own sermon. He was asking people to come to the altar and surrender their hearts and lives to the Lord. And he said a voice spoke to him and said, you've never done that. He said he was so shocked. And it dawned on him. He had never done it himself. He had been telling people all those years to do it, but he hadn't. He went around before the altar, prayed, and did that. See, it, just knowing what to do is not salvation. You've got to do it. He went around before the altar and prayed and asked the Lord to forgive him his sins and come into his heart. And he was a changed person then. But he had been preaching all those years and doing a good job. Now, Faith and love, the helmet of salvation, the hope of salvation. Now, if you have any doubt whatsoever, let that be your top priority. You don't need to know all these other things, all these religious words and all this stuff. Just get your heart right with the Lord. And let's see, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16 says, When the heart of man turns to the Lord, the veil of separation is lifted. Actually, it says, when it turns the Lord, the veil of separation lifted, but it's talking about the heart of man. So, that's all you need. An honest heart with God, honest prayer, talking to Him, and He will respond to your honest plea for help in your heart. Now, get that worked out. That's the greatest thing you can do here on earth. For God has not appointed us to wrath. See, He's not appointed us to that wrath that's going to come. And that's just like in... Uh, Isaiah, where God was lifting his people out before the wrath was poured out. And this is the verse I've heard so many ministers say that, you know, uh, uh, that that's not talking about God removing his people prior to the wrath to come. But yet in Isaiah it was, and that is an example of it happening before. And I was so surprised and glad to see that because all these years I've heard so many people say there's not one verse in the Bible that says God, you know, removes his people before the wrath comes. And it does in Isaiah, at that Isaiah rapture, Isaiah 57. That's the reason I call it the Isaiah rapture because that's going to be like ours. Anyway, for God has not appointed us for wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, that is, whether those that have already died before, and he's saying they're asleep here, or whether we're still alive, we should live together with him, Jesus. See? So it doesn't matter that one of your loved ones, you know, has already died. When the rapture comes, they're going to come out of those graves, you know, like that. Well, they're going to come back with him. They're already out of the graves. They're with the Lord right now. So they're going to come back with him to get us. Now, Second Thessalonians uh, chapter 2. Verse 32, let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first. Now, this falling away, it says that things got to get worse and everything, and uh, 
it you know it doesn't have to be this way if people responded to God's warning just like in Isaiah's day five warnings if the people had responded it wouldn't have had to be that way it doesn't have to be that way now for any particular individual either there's the, you can see a great falling away now God being pushed out of our society uh, in Christmas taking you know Christ out of Christmas and taking you know manger scenes out of view and any particular public places like that to, uh, especially if it has anything to do with schools or you know properties of the government or anything except there come a falling away first and that man of sin the man of sin now this could be here talking about the devil or, see, we're all born on this earth with no spirit of God in our heart. And then when we come of age and the Lord teaches us, you know, that uh, we're a sinner, that Christ is the answer. It says in uh, John uh, 6.45, they shall all be taught of God. Every man that heard and learned of the Father cometh unto me, Jesus says. So as God starts teaching a person then, then they turn to the, Jesus, call out for salvation, he sends the Spirit of Christ, the living Word, then into our heart to create a new heart, a new life. Now, if a person rejects it, in 2 Thessalonians 2, 10, 11, it says people perish because they reject the love of the truth. They know the truth. God's revealed the truth to them. But even though they have the words in their head, they reject and do not receive Him into their heart. And uh, this is just like it says in Hebrews 4, 2. Well, the scripture says, For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them, but the word preached unto them did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. So when people heard the gospel and God was teaching them and trying to get them to receive Christ into their heart, the living word in their heart, they didn't mix it with faith. And what that means by didn't mix it with faith is they didn't humble themselves and say, Lord, please forgive me, come into my heart. You know, they didn't humble their heart to the Lord and invite him to come in. Now, so here's talking about coming to falling away and that the man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. This could be just the devil and the spirit, or it could be a man so evil that, you know, he's turned from God somewhere or another like that, and he's allowed the devil to fill his heart with his spirit. You know, like Christ puts his you know, the Spirit of God in us, and we, we grow to be more like Christ as we receive more of God's Word into our heart and like this and everything. But this could be a man just almost like being opposite, you know, that's voluntarily or something like that, just trying to be evil for some stupid reason because he's going to wind up a lake of fire uh, too. But uh, anyway, it says here, except there come a falling away and that man of sin be revealed whether it's a man of sin or just uh, the devil continuing to work as he's doing now and everything, says the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God. See, whoever, whatever it is, uh, whether it's just the devil as he is today, opposing himself against everything as God, or if it's some person who's allowed the devil to just fill him like that, or, you know, a real man walking around like that. Who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he, as God, setteth in the temple of God, 
I say it could mean that, you know, this man so filled with the spirit of the devil, he's going to set himself in a temple of God like that and represent. Or again, it could be just the devil working like he does today and everything in the temple of God now, so that he as God sitteth in the temple. See, our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Our bodies are, our bodies are the temple of God, each of us. And when he talked about the falling away, it may mean that there's a lot of Christians that are going to be turning away and allowing, you know, the evil things to come in and and be their guide and everything. And uh, and that the devil's deceiving him so much with false doctrines and stuff like this, that this uh, man is talking about here set us in the temple of God, that he's actually in Christians' hearts and lives, you know, like that, because he's deceived them so much and everything. So, you know, uh, there's a lot of different ways to look at some of these scriptures. But it says, The son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God, or that is worship, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. So it could be a physical man so filled with the spirit of the devil that he's actually doing that, you know, in Jerusalem or someplace like this. And... Um, or it could be just talking about that he's filling people, you know, and it's falling away. The Christians may be falling away too. And he's filling them with deception like that. But anyway, now, uh, these are the scriptures talking about the raptures here. Now, I want to share with you like uh, more about the premillennialist beliefs um, and some scriptures and reasons why I believe it would be like I'd mentioned a while ago, you know, that uh, we would have the uh, rapture next, rapture of Christians, like that rapture in Isaiah where the godly people were taken out first before the wrath, then the seven years tribulation, and then um, the book of Revelation that talks about two witnesses would during the first three and a half years of this seven-year period, they will be um, prophesying and speaking and witnessing here on earth, and that uh, they will, God will allow them to actually be physically killed at the halfway point of that seven-year tribulation. So the first three and a half years, they will be here sharing their testimony of God and everything. Then when they're lifted out, the last three and a half years, of the seven-year period are going to be so much more worse worse than the, the first three and a half years. During this time now, people are going to be getting saved. People will be turning to the Lord. You know, uh, maybe a lot of those people that think they're Christians today that aren't, like 20-something years, I was in church thinking I was a Christian, found out I wasn't. Well, there's a lot of people in churches today like that too, I'm sure. Because I wasn't the only one. I don't believe it was ever like that. But, uh, well, in the one Jesus talks about in Matthew 7, he says, many are going to say to me that day, Lord, Lord, have we not done these great, wonderful works and everything? Um, a lot of them will be here. And they will turn to the Lord as soon as they find out they were actually left behind. The fear of God in them will cause them to turn to the Lord and, and cry out, you know, like it for him. Well, so during this seven-year period, the first three and a half years are going to be terrible. And it says in Revelations that um, you won't be able to buy or sell except you have the mark of the beast. Well, for Christians during that time, it's going to be a rough period of time. But uh, that would just 
be even more reason for you listening today to make sure and get your hearts right with God and make sure that you've received the Spirit of Christ in your heart so that you don't have to go through this. But for those that are, the last three and a half years after the two witnesses, uh, God allows them to be taken out physically and lay in state somewhere, and they'll be viewed all around the world, I guess, through television like this. But then they'll be resurrected on the third day, just like Jesus was. And it's going to put so much fear in the people and everything, and, and I guess irritation into the ungodly people, that the last three and a half years of that seven-year period is going to be terrible. At the end of that seven-year period, Jesus then, now the second coming, he will come, to earth with the saints and he will you know the battle of Armageddon or or whatever is going to take place there to end will occur and then he will set up his reign for a thousand years here on earth at the end of the thousand years will be uh, finalized by the great white throne judgment in Revelation chapter 20 verse 10 well verse 10 is before the white throne judgment, but it says the devil and his angels will be cast into the lake of fire. See, the devil is not in hell or the lake of fire right now. He never has been. He's been here on earth deceiving people. And so many people teach it. Jesus went to hell and fought the devil and got the keys to the kingdom and everything. No, he couldn't because the devil's never been in hell. He's never going to be in hell. Right here, the devil in Revelation chapter 10, right prior to the white throne judgment, says the devil and his angels are cast in the eternal lake of fire for eternal punishment for the rest of his life. And he's not going to be supervisor when he gets there. He's going to be the one punished. Okay, now, in verse 11, in Revelation 20, 11, it starts talking about the white throne judgment, verses 11 and 12. It says people are going to be judged out of the books. And, um, and if you're not, your name's not written in the book of life, you're going to be cast into the lake of fire with the devil and his angels. See, Jesus says in Matthew twenty-five forty-one that the lake of fire and hell was only created, the lake of fire was only created for the devil and his angels. But people go there because they reject the love of God's word when God brings them the knowledge that they're a sinner and that Christ is their answer. And they reject the love of it, and they reject him and his word, so they will go there too. But the devil and his angels cast in the lake of fire first. You know, there's no judgment on them. They're already gone. And then verse 11 and 12, the people are judged. And if your name's not written in the book of life, and the only way to get it written in there is to receive Christ into your heart as personal Lord and Savior. Now, then in verse 13 it says, And hell and the sea and death all that was in them were cast into the lake of fire. Hell. Everyone that went to hell. I don't know about the sea and death and like this, but anyway, it uh, anybody that died without Christ anywhere during that period of time is going to be cast then into the lake of fire with the devil and his angels. You don't have to go there. No one is predestined to heaven or hell. In one of my previous messages on, about Esau, if you look back through the podcast, find on Esau, I show you in black and white the scriptures that no one is predestined to heaven or hell. No one's ever been born of that. 
Esau wasn't. Esau was blessed every day of his life. If you look back through his life and everything and, and understand it, and everything. the Pharaohs, they were under God's curse because they were, you know, uh, cursing his children. God's promised Abraham, I'll bless those that bless you and curse those that curse you. There's never been anybody born on earth. Jesus said because the lake of fire was created for the devil and his angels. People go there because they reject God's love. Now, I'm going to share with you then the scriptures that go along with this particular view. And we'll start here. Let's see. One of the first um, beliefs is a premillennialist view, which I just explained to you. It starts out the, the rapture, seven years tribulation, then the thousand-year reign when Jesus comes back then, thousand-year reign, then the white throne judgment. Uh, and one of the first beliefs is that the church has placed Israel as God's people or his covenant people. And this seems like I'm changing the subject here, but see, part of this premillennialist view is that uh, it's Christians that, that God is dealing with today and not just the um, physical Jews that are over in Israel right now. And, and um, there's a big difference in society about, you know, uh, how God is dealing with them and how he's dealing with Christians. Because, you know, it, it appeared that, you know, that well, throughout the Old Testament, God's people or his covenant people were the Jews. Now, I believe today that the church has replaced that covenant from the Jews of that day to the Christians of today. And I'm going to share you a bunch of scriptures. The basic reason I believe this particular view, because I do not know enough, well, about the end times to tell you what I'm sharing is God's pure word of faith about the end times, but I have listened to many messages on the four or five different types of beliefs about the end times, but I felt it was more important to study uh, the basics of salvation, faith, grace, mercy, belief, and trust, and a changed heart, and helping people to become born again of the Spirit to be better able to teach and tell others about salvation. So I haven't been, you know, really the last 40 years studying about the end times. I've enjoyed hearing people tell about it and everything. But, I, but I've spent my time with salvation, faith, grace, mercy. Proverbs 11.30 now. Again, the fruit of the righteous tree of life, he that winneth souls is wise. So to me, seeking wisdom is seeking Christ. Because Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians one twenty four, it says... Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. The wisdom. So if it's wise to win souls, the wisdom of God is what you need to be seeking. Christ, to help you learn to become the witness you want to be or to help you share with people, you know, about, you know, what, changing your life, to becoming a child of God. Christ in us, our hope of glory. And like in Romans 8 and 9, it says, Any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. You know, giving them the scriptures and the encouragement and everything like that uh, to help reach souls for Christ, it's always been kind of my focus in serving the Lord. So this is 
really different for me sharing about the end times today. Now, James 1, 5, James chapter 1, verse 5, says, God will give wisdom liberally to those who ask. What is wisdom? Wisdom, again, is the Spirit of Christ. It says 1 Corinthians 1, 24, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. So, as you're seeking wisdom, what you're doing is you're actually seeking Christ. Christ, the you know, the Holy Spirit or Christ, you know, the third part of the Trinity. Now, in your heart, because the more you can know and understand about Christ, the better able you will be able to share with others to help lead them, your family members and like that, to becoming a child of God, being born of the Spirit. KLRN Radio has advertising rates available. We have rates to fit almost any budget. Contact us at advertising at klrnradio.com. God's Pure Word of Faith with Richard Harden can now be heard Monday through Friday mornings at 7 a.m. Central, 8 Eastern, and on Saturday and Sunday mornings at 6 a.m. Central, 7 Eastern. Join him and let's turn our country back to God. It only takes a spark to start a forest fire. Let's get on fire for the Lord. Right here on KLRN Radio and the Spark Radio Network. Visit Richard's website at raharden.com. That's the World Wide Web at rahardin.com. At his website, you can see a summary of the six books he has written, where purchases may be made. He also has a link to 18 videos on YouTube and several blogs about Christian beliefs. If you prefer, visit Amazon.com backslash Kindle and type in Richard Harden to see and purchase his books. Each of my programs are being saved so that you can listen to them at any time. There's just four simple steps to find the past programs. Go to www.spreaker.com. That's S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R.com. Enter my name, Richard Harden, in the search box in the top center of the home page. Click on the brown icon, which has the Bible, two candlesticks, and a cross in the background. A list of my programs will come up. You are listening to KLRN Radio, where liberty and reason still reign. Welcome back now. This is getting exciting here. Okay, we're talking about the premillennialist view, if I pronounced that right, that uh, of the end times, where the rapture would be the next to take place, seven years tribulation, Jesus' second return then with the saints will come back, set up and establish his thousand-year reign on earth, and then at the end of that time be the white throne judgment, and um, and we would go to what I guess we would consider to be then your eternal heaven or you know everlasting or something like that to be with the Lord. Now, religious leaders always, it's, it, not always, you know, we shouldn't say always, I guess, but 99% of the time I'd say maybe, have special words, you know, these big long words and everything like that they give to things. Uh, and it seems to me too often that 
when they do this, when you're listening to someone's giving you all these big long words, that it's about subjects that are inclusive of some areas that they're not clear on, but by calling it a name, it allows them to discuss the area as if, you know, that name makes it a truth and it needs no further discussion of, you know, where that name come from or how it came about, what scriptures. You talk to a lot of people about the uh, different scriptures of a particular belief. They won't know what you're talking about. They'll go back and say something like the Westminster Confession or the, you know, Calvinist says this or something like that. They'll, they'll quote you what people have said and done, everything like this, and some of these um, great terms. But as far as the scriptures, you know, they don't want to talk about them or, you know, they don't know the scriptures talk about them. Anyway, stating that the church, Jesus' body of believers now, Christians, have replaced the Israel of the Old Testament as God's covenant people today is called replacement theology. So when you hear people talk about in the different um, radio, television, you know, like it message, like it replacement theology, that that's what they're referring to, is that you know the Israel was God's people all through the Old Testament, and so uh, many people say that they still are His special chosen people for today. Well. Everybody's got special chosen people for today. So I'm not saying they're, you know, blocked out from God or anything like that. But I'm just saying that God has turned now in a different way because, uh, let's see. Christians have replaced the Israel of the Old Testament as God's covenant people today called replacement theology. Now, to the best of my knowledge, Dr. John Hagee of San Antonio, Texas, who does so much worldwide for Israel, the natural Jews, very greatly disagrees with this replacement technology, uh, theology that have been uh, replaced in God's eyes by the Christians, the church. So, let me share with you the scriptures that cause me to believe that the church has replaced the natural Jews. Instead of just saying, I believe that, let me share with you the scriptures, and then you decide what you believe. Because each one of us is going to have to stand before the Lord someday, as I've mentioned several times, and that's what we're going to have to count for is what we believe. Now, one reason I think that the uh, Christians have replaced the Jews in God's eyes as his representatives here on earth is because of the religious freedom in Israel right now. You know, uh, we have religious freedom here, <laughs> at least we've had in the past, where we could speak out against sin or speak out against other things. And now if we do, it's starting to get to where it's going to be curtailed. But now over in Israel, they say they have religious freedom, and they do in a sense, but if you talk about Jesus over there, if you witness somebody on the streets of Israel about Jesus, you can be arrested and thrown in jail. You can have your churches go inside your church and talk about Jesus all you want to, but you cannot proselytize or witness to people on the streets or in any way like that. So you're not allowed to perform your belief in your religion like we're supposed to be able to do here. Uh, See, over there, uh, they're still mainly of the God of the Old Testament. 
you know, denying Christ. Now, why someone would think that in that particular case where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no man cometh unto the Father but by me, that, that they would still be receiving all the blessings, you know, of that covenant with Abraham. Well, let me read you the scriptures in and you see what you think. Romans chapter 2, verses 28 and 29. Apostle Paul's a Jew now. He was a Jew. He was one of the smartest Jews of his day. He was a fast burner, a young man that the Sanhedrin liked him so much, he had certificates allowing him to go out and kill and persecute and throw Christians in jail because they considered the Christians to be a cult. So he was, you know, one of the fast burners, you know, in the Sanhedrin's eyes, and he was really growing up to going to be a great leader like that for the um, Jews there until Jesus stopped him and said, why do you persecute me? And Paul says, oh, his name was Saul, and says, uh, who are you, Lord? And he said, I'm Jesus of Nazareth, whom thou persecutest. And right then, one of the first things Paul said was, Lord, what would you have me do? <laughs> See, he found out that he, he was right backwards in his belief. But now he wanted to get right. And the first thing he wanted to do was start serving God, you know, the right way. Now, here the Apostle Paul. And the disciples, and on the day of Pentecost, the first Christians were Jews. Jews are supposed to be Christians. But in our society today, the the religion of the Jews still is the Old Testament denying Jesus as a Messiah. Well, okay, here's Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 2, verse 28 and 29. For he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision which is outward to the flesh. But he is a Jew, which is one inwardly, and circumcision is of the heart in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. See, saying here, the Jew today is the one who has received Christ in their heart, the Christian. See, Christ was the, Jesus was the Jew. We received the spirit of Jesus Christ in our heart. It says the Jew today is, for he is not a Jew which is one outwardly of the flesh. Neither is the circumcision which is outward of the flesh. See, it's a circumcised heart now, not of the flesh. Okay. Romans chapter 9, verses 6 through 8. Not as though the word of God has taken none effect, for they are not all Israel which are of Israel, neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children. But in Isaac shall the seed be called. That is, they which are children of the flesh, these are not children of God, but the children of promise are counted for the seed. Christians are the seed of Abraham through Christ, the Jews today are seed of the flesh. Now, they are comparing this to um, Isaac and Ishmael. Ishmael was the older son of Abraham, but he was not the son of promise because he was, through Hagar, the slave of Abraham. Abraham and Sarah's first son was Isaac, which was the son of promise from God. And that's the way he's saying today that uh, we are children 
those who have Christ in their heart, we're children of God through the seed of Christ, who is the seed of Abraham. You'll see in another scripture here in just a minute. And so the Jews today without Christ or descendants of Abraham and his seed, but through the flesh, because they haven't received it through Christ, the seed of Abraham. Now, uh, Matthew 19:28, Jesus said to them, Verily I say unto you, that ye which have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man shall sit on the throne of his glory, ye also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the tribes of Israel. See, the tribes of Israel uh, used to always, you know, they'd have somebody to represent that tribe when circumstances would come up. They'd have their representative to, you know, come to Moses or the representative to come to the kings like this. But Jesus is saying here that it's not going to be a representative from those 12 tribes that's going to sit on the thrones when he comes into his kingdom. But Jesus is saying here, I say unto you that ye which have followed me, the 12 disciples, not counting uh, Judas probably, but counting Matthias that was put in his place in uh, Acts chapters 1 and 2. That ye which have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man shall sit on the throne of his glory, ye shall sit upon the twelve thrones. See, that's that's not talking about the you know the the Jews of today, the the Jews throughout the, you know the twelve tribes of Israel. He's talking about the twelve thrones here of the twelve disciples that are going to be you know uh, sitting on the uh, twelve thrones, judging. And they'll be judging the 12 tribes of Israel, see? So God has replaced the uh, natural Jews with Christians here. Galatians 4, 22, 23, and 28. For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the bondsman and the other by the free woman. That was, again, Isaac and Ishmael that I was talking about a while ago. But he who was of the bondswoman was born after the flesh, that's Ishmael, with the servant. But he of the free woman was by promise. And that was Isaac born by Abraham and Sarah. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are children of promise. So he's saying that's how we become children of promise because we're born through Christ, Abraham's seed. And the Jews of today, the fleshly Jews, are born of the seed of Abraham, but not of the seed of promise Christ. Galatians chapter 3, Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, faith now, acceptance and obedience to God's word, we're sinners, inviting Christ to come into our heart, are the, the same are children of Abraham. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, it is written, Cursed is every one that hangeth on a tree, that the blessings of Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. And that's how it is. We accept God's word. Jesus says, my words are spirit and life. When we accept God's word, we're a sinner. Invite the Spirit of Christ to come into our heart. The Spirit of his word come into us, our life and spirit in us. And we receive the promises by, of the Spirit by faith. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. And he said not, and to seeds as of many, but as one. See, so it was to Abraham and his seed, Christ was, Jesus was a promise made. And to thy seed, which is 
Christ. For ye are all children of God by faith, acceptance and receiving Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male or female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you be Christ, listen to them, if you be Christ, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So through Christ in us, we're Abraham's seed and heirs to the promises that God made through Abraham to all of his people. The Jews today are the seed of Abraham through the flesh like Ishmael. But Christians are the seed of Abraham through Christ to the heirs of the promises to Abraham. So the Christians today are God's chosen people. That's why he sent Jesus. He didn't send Jesus down here to do all that and have the Jews ignore him and reject him and still sit in that favored spot. Yes, the Jews were the first Christians. Paul was a Christian. See? So there's the Jews now to stay in that favored relationship that they had through Abraham must have Christ in their heart. If ye be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. I believe that Christians will be raptured prior to the seven-year tribulation on earth like the people of God were raptured prior to the evil in Isaiah chapter 57 verse 3. I also believe that most of the people who today call themselves or think they're Christians will find out they're not and be left behind. And I think probably most of these will be so shocked and so terrified to be left behind that and find out they're unsaved that they will turn to the Lord then immediately and become Christians, become children of God that are going to be persecuted through the seven-year period of time of the persecution, if they aren't killed during that time. You know, from the persecution, it says a lot of them will be beheaded and things. <clears throat> I think many of the people being left behind, unsaved Christians, you might say, like I was all those 20-something years thinking I was a Christian and wasn't, I think they're going to be a lot of the ministers, some of the big-name ministers in our country, because you never hear them talking of the changed heart and changed life. And, and I don't believe a person can truly be a minister of God. Like, you know, I, I don't think I could go out and, and try to teach the Scriptures and not refer to the changed heart, changed life that each person must receive. Jesus says in Acts chapter 3 and 4, you must be born again. And that's the whole purpose of, of a person ministering for Christ and reaching out is to share with people about salvation and to help people come to salvation. And how can you do that without ever referring to the changed heart? I know, you know, you have uh, this thing called the Romans Road and the four spiritual laws and you have different things like this to tell people, you know, what they need to do and things and everything. But you need to be personally sharing with people about what Christ has done in your own heart. You know, it it was such a fantastic change in my life that it was that I well I haven't stopped sharing it since forty four years ago, and to share what God did in my heart that night, 
I didn't immediately recognize it that night. I was so skeptical. I was saying, God, if you're really real, like that Bible says, you know, I was so doubtful after 20-something years of, of claiming to be a Christian and going to church so much and everything. It just comes to the point to where it, it can't be true with me and, you know, me be like I am. But I, I didn't realize that it wasn't true with me. I just thought it was. But when I received Christ in my heart, there was such a change in my attitude about cars. I had two fancy cars, and, and you know, I, my wife mentioned we need to get rid of them and get family cars. And I, Yeah, we need to. I said, what am I saying? I looked out the window and saw those cars, and all of a sudden they had just become vehicles for transportation. All that love and everything I had for those things, a little 57 T-Bird and a special ordered uh, Lincoln Town car from the factory and all fancy paint, all the stuff like that. All of a sudden, it just didn't mean anything to me then. I said, man, something's changed in me. And then, uh, oh, just on and on like that, things happened. Looked in the refrigerator a couple of days later, and there was that bottle of vodka sitting there unfinished. And I, what? And I said, well, I'd gone two or three days and hadn't even thought about it. I just took it and poured it out, and that was it. I picked up the Bible, started reading it one day at noon while I was waiting on lunch. And uh, it was hard to put down. I said, hey, listen to this. I, I started seeing things in that Bible. And it was Christ in me, you know, just coming alive in the Scriptures and everything. And I'd never seen it before. We had Bibles all over the house those 20-something years I thought I was a Christian. We never used them except just to carry them to church every now and then, something like that. But it just come alive to me and other changes, the hate in my heart and all that stuff. It changed so much that some people that I was really filled with hate for and everything, all of a sudden I said, well, they need what I've got. You know, and my first thought of them was they need what I've found. And I wasn't fully sure, fully sure of what I'd found, but I knew they needed whatever it was <laughs> because we were all alike and everything. So uh, that changed heart and everything. The new life in Christ Jesus. Um, for by grace are you saved through faith. It, when you, by faith, accept that you're a sinner, you accept God's word that Jesus is the answer, and you accept his word that you need to humble yourself and call out to him. See, you respond to faith in by accepting those words into your heart and actually doing them. Like the scripture I read you a while ago, it says that uh, Hebrews 4.2, for unto us was the gospel preached as well as in them, but the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. And to mix with faith in them that heard it, all you have to do is just humble yourself and say, Lord Jesus, please forgive me. Come into my heart and save me. See, you actually do that. Now, you can know the plan of salvation. You can know all that about Christ, God loving you and everything, and, and you're a sinner, and you can reject it. Well, like it says, what is Second Thessalonians 2, 10, 11 says, and the reason people perish is because they reject the love of the truth. See, the love of God's Word, uh, God's words are spirit in their life. But you can know them in your head and reject them from your heart and say, well, I want to wait till I get out of college. I want to wait till I you know, get married. I want to wait till I you know, quit sowing my wild oats and, you know, and get out of this or get out of this crooked deal. The devil will try to give you all kind of reasons why you need to put that off. But you don't. If you feel like you need to straighten up your life, you can't do it. The devil won't let you do it if you put God off and, and the love of his truth off. You can't do it by yourself. Take it to the Lord, and, and like the Lord did me. I didn't realize that, but man, he, he 
created in me a new heart, change my desires, change my Because see, in Ezekiel 36, 26, it says, A new heart also will give you, a new spirit will I put within you. I'll take away the stony heart of your flesh, and I'll give you a heart of flesh, and I'll put my spirit in you. See, he, he gives us a new heart to start living with him. And he races all that stuff out of our heart, the evil and the lust and the, and the things like this. He races them out of our heart. I wish he'd race them out of our head, but he doesn't do that. We still have those memories of the past and everything, but he races them out of our heart. We get a new, clean heart and his spirit of love in that heart to start as a child of God. Now, and that, you know, like I said about the memory and everything, in uh, Apostle Paul says in uh, chapter 12, Romans chapter 12, verse 2, says, Be not conformed to this world, be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. See, we have to do that part. But then we can start studying the scriptures and fill our hearts with you know God's living word and, and more like that. And then when things happen throughout the day, then the Holy Spirit in us, Christ in us, can come forth and remind us what, you know, the will of the Lord is Christ in us, his living word, how we should respond like that. So we can grow then in Christ, renewing our mind. And Second um, Corinthians 10.5 where it says, Submitting every thought to the obedience of Christ. Well, we have to have Christ in us, you know, uh, been studying and, and receiving more of his living word in us after we become a Christian. And, and as he grows in our heart then like that, then he can give us guidance throughout the day like, now, so we need then to do the best we can today to get our own salvation worked out and understand that Christ is living in us and that everybody we meet is somebody he wants us to witness to if we can. Try to get the conversations around to sharing with them about his love. And, you know, uh, if, you t if somebody asks you to pray for them, don't just say, I'll pray for you. Let's pray now. You know, pray for them out loud if you can in any way. Now, in some situations you can't, but if you can, pray for them out loud for whatever their problem is. That way you may walk away from them. But when they walk away from you and God starts working in their life and answering that prayer, they'll say, hey, you know, he or she prayed and, and God actually answered their prayer. I need to be able to do that. See, that that's how it's testifying. It says, I'll be lifted up. He'll draw all men into him. We lift him up to them when they come to us and lift up their problems. And then we share with them. We turn to the Lord in prayer. And there's never any concern too little. Because in Philippians 4, 6, it says, Be anxious for nothing, but by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be known to the Lord. When you start getting anxious about something, that's when you start praying. You know, that's the time then. To, Barney Fife, you say, nip it in the bud. Nip in the bud. Start praying. Get started then. When uh, I had cancer back in 1987, I told one of my buddies in Memphis this. And I said to Lord led me to this doctor, and I walked right in, you know, and the first thing he said was, young man, let's pray. He said, was it that bad? I said, no, 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 it wasn't that bad. <laughs> that was the beginning. It was great. Man, I was glad to see that God was meeting me with a Christian doctor that wanted to pray, and that, and that just gave me all the confidence. I was right where I needed to be because I had to have, you know, some of the skin taken off my arm and everything like that. But I haven't had any more treatments, anything since then. You know, they're just 
took the thing off and threw it away and that was it but uh, now if any of you do not know for sure that you're a child of God I want right now you to to pray and start praying and seeking until you can know that you've received the new heart and new life just a simple prayer Jesus I ask you please forgive me and cleanse me of my sins I want to turn from my sins I surrender my heart and life to you and invite you and your spirit Christ to create in me the new clean heart and to come live in my heart in your name Jesus I ask amen it doesn't have to be those exact words it can just be a heart crying out help like in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 16 says when it the heart of man turns the Lord the veil of separation is lifted and I just want you to know for sure that if this rapture is close by or even if it isn't so many people are going to die today that don't expect to but that you'll be prepared to stand before Jesus that you know you've received Christ into your heart John 3:16-17 For God so loved the world he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him Jesus should not perish but have everlasting life For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved Now my revision is this for John 3:16 For God so loved the people of the world that he gave his only begotten son Jesus that Jesus should endure the loneliness, the suffering of the perfect walk of faith, and the painful sufferings of his seven sprinklings of his blood on the cross, by the crown of thorns, the plucking of his beard, the nails in his two feet, the nails in his two hands, and the terrible stripes on his back, that Jesus would go through all this suffering. God allowed these sufferings in his mercy so that all of God's already pre-elected and predestined people prior to birth to die and go to heaven that they would actually die and go to heaven that sounds so ridiculous if only predestined or elected people prior to their birth go to heaven then there would have been no need for the work and suffering of Jesus no one's destiny would or will ever be changed by Jesus suffering and death on the cross for our sins and salvation because everything required for our salvation would have already been done prior to our birth by God's act of electing and predestining us to heaven or hell before birth after God has predestined us to heaven or hell there would be no need or no more to be done in heaven and earth it would already be finished before our birth so what's happening here is the devil hates Jesus so much that he's come up with this Calvinist devilish deceived theology that would have us think that we're predestined or elected prior to birth to go to heaven or hell and that would make all the suffering and work of Jesus as our Savior totally unnecessary totally worthless and Jesus totally useless for his life and death on the cross would not change anything prior to you know people dying and going to heaven or hell because it's already been done by God predestining and electing them to heaven or hell before we were born 
See how ridiculous that is. Good day. God bless you. Visit Richard's website at raharden.com. That's the World Wide Web at rahardin.com. At his website, you can see a summary of the six books he has written, where purchases may be made. He also has a link to 18 videos on YouTube and several blogs about Christian beliefs. If you prefer, visit amazon.com backslash Kindle and type in Richard Harden to see and purchase his books. KLRN Radio has advertising rates available. We have rates to fit almost any budget. Contact us at advertising at klrnradio.com. You are listening to KLRN Radio, where liberty and reason still reign.